Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Rob? Today, Russell Tovey, I am <laughs> shimmering. Ooh, are you, yes, baby? Tell me why I you're shimmering, am baby. shimmering. Because today's guests' paintings, in my eyes, they shimmer. They are just the most beautiful, fluid, uh, shimmering kind of um, saturations of colour, uh, which I did actually steal from Flowers Gallery. My friend um, Antonio works at the wonderful Flowers Gallery and invited us recently to see the exhibition of today's talk art guest and both of us were blown away by the works that we saw immediately i was struck by the kind of intimacy and um the direct kind of self portraiture but not always i mean it it is kind of figurative work but often they make these paintings that are just kind of like moments from life like as well as kind of direct figurative portraiture but i just love all the kind of floral elements of mm-hmm. um and the kind of personal symbolism mm-hmm. that, that that runs through this kind of like current throughout the work and um i love the fluidity of it and there's actually an amazing quote um from today's guest which says nothing is fixed everything is in flux and anything can change it and i i really feel that in the work there's this kind of tension that like at any moment something might be revealed so we are very proud and very excited because we did actually finally meet for the first time at our talk art book oh, to right, launch yeah. in london and it was such an honor to to meet this artist i was actually really overexcited yeah, we were as i am right now yeah, yeah. Totally. so we would like to welcome to talk art the one and only victoria, victoria hi victoria hi robert russell wow thank you what an intro my head is just bursting thank you <laughs> and uh, you've been at the studio since very early this morning haven't you well early for me um <laughs> my partner and i um partner su yang chinese artist that we met at college doing our bas together so we went to china and i got back last week she got back from china Two days ago, she was visiting her family, and we are trying to reset our clock so that we come into the studio a bit sooner in the day, rather than starting late morning and finishing kind of late night, which was our practice before we went to China, kind of like starting 11-ish and normally working in the studio until 10 or 11 at night. I mean, to to go on until one or two in the morning isn't necessarily that really that productive because you think you're getting loads done at like 11, 12, 1 a.m. But then the next day, you're so zonked that you get very little done. So you kind of lose all everything that you advanced the night before, even though sometimes, you know, you're in the zone with a painting or, or you're, you're working on an area of a painting where it's like, I've got to do this before I go to bed. 
you know th this area has to be finished because otherwise because i'm working like wet in wet for example and um what does and... that what does wet in wet mean to people listening so wet in wet is when you're um working with different colors and different brush marks but it doesn't matter that the all that material is all wet on the canvas so it means that when you're making a brush mark the the uh, the marks will bleed into each other or or mix into each other as opposed to say painting an area and you want very clean edges and not mixing of colors so you'll wait for that area to dry maybe a few days because uh, it's oil and it's slow drying and then then you can carry on with the next area without there being any like color mix it's easier if you're working with acrylic well in that regard because acrylic will dry in about 20 odd minutes and so you can have these kind of clean areas of color you can achieve them more easily if you want to have the kind of wet and wet experience with acrylic you have to use mediums that actually slow down the paint drying process ex extender mediums and then you've got paint that um that will say maybe dry within an hour's time and that would allow you a full wet and wet experience um, I love I love the idea of a wet and wet experience. It sounds pretty cool, <laughs> Victoria. But what? It, it, the, okay, so the wet and wet experience yeah. is there. That we go. You like technical art lessons? <laughs> do you prefer Do you prefer a wet and wet experience than than like an, a quick quick dry experience? What do you prefer? Uh, it depends whether it's summer or winter. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's like uh, it depends on the work. You know, um, I, I've one of the things I've said before is that um, in other conversations with 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 friends or whatever, or like a curator or gallerist, is that um, you know the work ultimately is um, intuitive. It's emotionally led. You kind of like when you're making a piece of work, it's a conversation, anyhow. So sometimes the pathway you're going down is that you the, the work demands and the the conversation I'm having with the work is such that it, it's it's got to be a clean piece like i don't know the um a lot of the transgender women paintings those large scale self portraits that i was doing um in 2021 22 those were that those were done over a significant amount of time areas were drying and then i was doing the next part i know eyes for example or lips there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of clean painting and then alternatively a painting that you saw in flowers for example um subjective ideas during wartime that that painting that that's almost all wet and wet in entirety but it's a very um you know it's 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 a painting that's that's kind of quick and direct and and you know you're you're making decisions and, and responding to things in a very immediate, fast-paced way. Mm. I was actually going to bring up that painting because that was the one when I walked into the exhibition that just blew my mind. And in a kind of dream art heist uh, kind of state, that would be the one that I would steal. <laughs> Um, oh, or you. if I could afford it, I would have bought it. But yeah, um, I absolutely love it. And I just think 
it, it's a giant painting. It's like two meters by 1.7 meters. So 200 centimeters um, tall. Mm, and yeah, it's this beautiful that. painting of two lovers. And it's also got a kind of bed and a, and a whole bedroom scene with the wallpaper. You love and this bed, beautiful, you I love beds in art. Yeah, it's like my thing. And, um, and also it's got this beautiful portrait hanging on the wall of the, you assume, of the couple, which I think is you and your partner. Yes, it's actually a um, an older painting. That ah. paint, that that the painting that's on the wall in that is a twenty twenty one. Okay, that, so it's like referencing piece. a painting that you'd already made. Yeah, uh, and and a lot of a lot of what I do with my practice anyway, I'm constantly um, referencing back to older works, older series, uh, and art history. It's 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 part of what goes on with the work I make mm, kind of referencing yourself. I really like that. Yeah. Referencing myself and referencing also um, like artworks from history that, that I have a particular affinity towards. Can I go back to then China and coming back from China and t- changing your time zone for what you spend in the studio? Why did you set that as the benchmark of coming back and you're going to change the way that you set your hours and your work hours well it was something that we were talking about uh, because you know my partner and I we work together we live together as well so um, we're in the pattern is very enmeshed we've both been complaining that kind of we we come into the studio too late we 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 leave too late and we don't think it's necessarily healthy so uh, this seemed like a perfect fit because there's the new adjustment of changing from seven eight hours ahead are you are you, <laughs> like, are you confident you're going to stick to it well it's been good the last couple of days it's like the live the live work balance thing it's always yeah. hard to i think when you're a creative it's really hard that blurring i even find it running the gallery because your friends your 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 kind of partners like everything can merge and then your your working life actually feels like you're working with friends so it's this big kind of blur i mean literally i'm working with russell he's my best friend so it's it's a funny funny thing isn't it in art mm. yeah no absolutely and um i think one of the things when i because I, I, I went to art school really late. I, w- I was in my early 40s at the point oh, I cool. went to art school. And um, I was thinking through the process that this was an opportunity to create for myself a, a circle of friends that I would hopefully have for the rest of my life who were mm. all kind of into the same stuff I was, basically, and, and kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're on the same pathway together. I love that. Yeah, I never went to drama school and I always slightly envy people that have that year or the year above the year below and they do jobs and they have them sort of common common denominators between each other. I was always envious of that. I can understand that. So so prior to so if you did that in your 40s, prior to that were you a, a practicing self-taught artist or was you doing something In effect, yes. Yeah. Cuz um I I mean, it's it's the old I suppose common story that you know as a kid I was always drawing that's all I ever did covered my school books in drawings drove my parents nuts with that and but they were unsupportive of me doing art I mean you know they they were both immigrants who had come to this country with suitcases and nothing else and I suppose looking back on it they thought that they wanted me to be to have like a, a, a stable 
stable kind of like job and career, you know, that, that, that put a roof over my head and gave me nice holidays and that sort of thing. Uh, because that's what they had worked towards themselves. And so this idea that I wanted to go to art school, because, you know, as a 16, 17 year old, you know, you, you, I mean, back then that was the, the mid 80s. So I was reading like Melody Maker and NME. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. The, those old uh, weekly music papers. And, and they were and like it, newspapers, weren't they? They were very yeah, specific. literally. Because they were like printed out on newsprint and they were a big format. And that was my whole world as well in the early 90s, like my access to the indie art, uh, not art scene, music scene. I mm. used to love, love the physicality of them. Absolutely. So I, I used to look, I used to read those every week. And I remember reading about like bands, I don't know, Placebo meeting at art school, for example. And, yeah. and and Rolling Stones met at, I think they met in in like secondary school. I can't remember, but there are a number of bands. Oh, Fr- Franz that, Ferdinand. Oh, uh, Pulp. Pulp, Pulp at, yeah. at, at St. Martin's. And, and um, Edwin, Edwin Collins and Orange Juice. I think maybe that yeah. was, he was. So it was like, there, there I was reading that as a 16, 17 year old. And it's like suddenly, oh my goodness, there's a, there's such a place as an art school. That's where I want to go. <laughs> uh you know that suddenly i'm like i'm obsessed and well pulp famously sang about it as well of course common people common people yeah i remember that amazing fantastic song yeah because it was half piss take and half just fact it was kind of genius (laughs) oh but the the way that the um that the song rises into this great crescendo uh, it's it's just uh, you know I, i still listen to to pulp regularly and um actually um Jarvis, like the the last solo album he did, that yeah. that's a regular in the studio. That's such a great album. Yeah. So my parents were not at all supportive, and and of course I had a whole bunch of other issues because I'm transgender, and um, even back then, you know, ever since I was a kid, really, I'd been dealing with gender and identity issues. So. You know, it was. I had no siblings. It was a. It was a not not to like, you know, what want anyone to like play a violin, but it, it was it was a challenging house at times to to grow up in for various different reasons, and um, I all I wanted to do was really, I suppose, please my parents ultimately. Uh, and so when 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 they said no, you're not doing that. I didn't I didn't challenge it, and it, it wasn't until uh, th- this sounds absolutely horrific, but it wasn't until my father passed away, uh, what was it about twenty years ago, that I suddenly thought, oh, I can do art more seriously. And so I like rented a studio at that point because because before that I just be I'd been painting in like the spare bedroom. Uh, my right, parents' right. house because mum and dad said, no, you can make art on the weekend as a hobby. You know, you have to focus on a proper job and, and and make make work in your spare time, if you like, because you enjoy to do that. But in the early 20s, I got a studio. And I suppose I'd had all this kind of no, no, no drummed into my head about what I couldn't do. That It never occurred to me. Like, I mean, I was, what, 32 at the time? It never occurred to me at that point, oh, I could actually go to art school now. 
you know, you know, dad, dad isn't there to say no anymore, and I don't have to fight with him over that. Uh, so, so I just, uh, I, I, I found a studio and made friends within the art studio community. But um, it wasn't until after I had dealt with transition, like ten years ago, when that had all been dealt with my gen, my my gender issues. That then I thought, okay, I've got no dependents, no one that I have to take care of, no one to say no to me. I'm going to do the thing that I want to do. And I am going to go to art school because that's what I wanted to do ever since I was a teenager. And I sometimes so- feel like older artists, like if people start in any kind of creative discipline a bit older, sometimes they can sort of go in much more self-assured somehow because they've already got so much life experience and they've also got stuff to make work about yeah i think it's a double-edged sword because on one level um there's the issue that you've got less time you know all all, all my classmates were in their 20s when i was doing my ba and there i was like a whatever 42 year old Uh, and i was thinking and i was like you've got your whole life ahead of you you know to, to 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 do whatever to discover to do adventures to make mistakes whatever and like you know they were all like kind of they they we graduated uh, and they were like i'm gonna have some time off and then think about maybe doing an, an ma in the future and i'm just like hang on where's the ma i want i want that next i want it now <laughs> the thing is though like we we interviewed the estate of um jean-michel basquiat um a few days ago his sisters Lizanne and Jeanette and they were talking about when Jean-Michel was in his 20s and he would often say to them like oh a lot of the people that he'd heard of either in music or art I can't quite remember but but they all died young and he seemed to have some kind of knowledge that perhaps he he wouldn't live that you know into his older age which obviously I think he died around 28 27 or something 27 and, I think um, is that, 27, that magic yeah yeah, yeah. The, exactly that, yeah that weird, weird number weird number yeah but but therefore he just dedicated so much like every living hour to making work so in a way sometimes you know even when you're young you might not be there forever either but i think people can still make huge contributions even if you have you know less time per se than people who have like decades and decades if you know what i mean there's something about well, yeah. that intensity and yeah. focus so like i was saying double-edged sword and the, the flip side yeah. of that is that it's what you were mentioning earlier. You 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 come into into school, into the studio, into this um, into this life changing experience with a whole bunch of baggage to draw on. Uh, yeah, pardon the pun. And um, <laughs> and so yeah, it was like kind of I I virtually skipped into school every single day you know I was I was like when I was doing my BA and even my MA I would I would I would get to I would get to college and um early in the morning soon after the gates opened and I'd be one of the last to leave the building when they were closing and that was like literally every single day of the week Wow. I mean, I feel that in your painting, interestingly. I think that's what struck me about the show. There's a vitality and an urgency in the mark making and actually a joy. And it it, it kind of vibrates. And, and that word shimmering, you know, which I'd read in the Flowers Gallery text, there's this, there's this sense of 
it, it does vibrate. And it is this kind of excitement and vitality and life force, which I think is obviously partly the fact that you're now able to, you know, uh, just run with being creative. Well, do live your dream, basically. Yeah, and that, and that kind of state of mind that's freedom, essentially. Yeah, I mean, um, and thank you. I suppose it's it's the old adage of that your friend, um, who I'm a huge fan of, Tracy Emin, talks about how art saved her. And I can completely relate to that statement wholly. There is literally nothing else I feel I can do or want to do. And, and I'm in a, I, I feel as if I'm an incredibly in an incredibly privileged position that I can, you know, work and make painting every, every day in the studio. And have you found this group of like-minded friends that you wanted to go to art school to discover? Do you have like a crew that you can move around with? Oh yeah, totally. Oh, nice. So that, that's, that's the, that's the other great joy. We are definitely a, um, a family and, and you pick your family, you know, of course, there's the family that you're born into, but ultimately the family that you have every day is the family that you choose to be a part of. And, yeah, your friends um, are the family you choose for yourself. And I have a family, and that's another great blessing. Absolutely. Oh, Victoria, this is amazing. This is so inspiring. So you, you, you referenced earlier, um, we were talking about the uh, the woman series, the transgender woman series, and actually I've noticed that there's been like a strike through in some documentation of, of the Transgender Woman series and other ones it, it hasn't been struck through. But it's an amazing series and I think there's it's numbered from 1 to 11 and for me, I find this the most generous artistic offering uh, ever and I feel like it's such incredible uh, documentation for our community and for representing the trans experience and also as an artist. I find it so compelling and historical and I think it's a body of work that everybody should know about and I would love to discuss more about this but the thing that really I also love about it is that it's non-sequential and we're looking at 11 stages of facial reconstruction not reconstruction transformation and it's non-chronological and it's non-sequential but you can't that you obviously do follow a narrative but it, it's so striking and arresting and you know upsetting at times but i find it so important can can we talk about that body of work and do you do you feel that and have you felt that from other people already yeah no thank you um it's a um it felt like an important body of work certainly by the time i'd got to like eight nine ten you know i mean the, the uh number one was just painted as, uh, was just a painting. You know, there, there wasn't any thoughts about a number two or three, etc. It was just like, it was, there was, um, uh, up until, up until number one occurred. So I, I used to paint in a very abstract manner and I suppose shifted during my MA at, towards figuration and and then even then when I started actually painting like people there was there were there were masks there's like there's armor there, there was 
or, or I simply painted other people. I, I used friends as models, for example. And eventually, uh, late 2021, I guess, I think, when um, number one got painted. And these are all self-portraits, by the way, for people listening. These are all you. Yeah, they're, they're, they're painted from selfies over time. I think I think the oldest one so far is one from about is is a photograph from 50 about 15 years ago so a long time before i had even um started any sort of hormone therapy uh, as as a trans woman uh so i so we were in the studio uh yang and i and, and yang was like why are you always painting other people and other figures you know why, why don't you paint yourself so you know the, the, i mean that that whole series it exists thanks to thanks to my partner, but uh, I was like, okay, you know, I, I, I'm willing to, you know, take a punt on on, on painting me, and so I um, I took I took this large scale canvas, and um, I, I'd worked on that canvas size before, so I, I, I it's a canvas size I was very happy with, one seventy by one fifty, and it's like an eight by ten. So like I used to do like going all the way back to school days I I was big into photography and one of the things with my work is that a lot of my canvases generally reference um photographic print sizes so like 8 by 10 or 6 by 7 in terms of their um height versus width and I looked at like a passport photo I said, you know, I'm going to take the passport photo and blow it up, and so that that's that's what became that first painting. And then when I um, when I went to title it, I just thought transgender woman, but I'm going to put a strike a line through the word transgender because, you know, this is a woman, and okay, it happens to be me, but that's not the the most important thing. It's just it's a woman and okay because it's me she happens to be transgender too but i want people to i i hope that the viewer can see beyond that and like just see the individual because you know i it's not like i ever went into a gallery or museum and saw someone that represents me up on the wall and so i was hoping that that maybe that's what this painting could be. And as soon as I'd finished it, it was like, okay, I can do another because that was an interesting exercise. But what if I can explore explore the subject and the theme again? And how, how, how will that come out differently? How will that look? Uh, and so that, that became number two. And then... That was the beginning of the like the ball rolling at that point. You know, Victoria, that is so beautiful. What 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 you just said, and 
it got me thinking about the word frank and also the word candid. And I've been thinking a lot about those words this week because we met, um, we went to the Hay Festival and we met Ruby Wax, the comedian and performer. And she's also an amazing best-selling author. And she's written this book all about her last year in a place where you go when you have a mental health crisis. And she wrote this beautiful book all about her struggles. And it, I, I loved the words frank and candid because there's something so sort of direct and honest about, you know, that that sort of mode of communication for you do you see your works as candid and has it been like challenging or is it difficult to to allow yourself as an artist to be that direct because I know you before didn't necessarily make self-portraits so what's that shift been like for you I think really even though it's been progressive you know what I was saying earlier about how I was making you know paintings with um, armor in them uh, with with masks in them, but ultimately there's also been a progressive, like dropping down of all those barriers and, and those shields, and I think to a degree, it began with, I guess it began with with transition, because um, you know uh, I, I I was going through. Literally, uh, um, when I first went to a doctor about advice for transition, the doctor said, you know, you, you really should see a therapist. And so I embarked on therapy. And I saw a therapist right up until I started art school. So I had, I guess I had about um, three, four, four years of therapy before that, where I was seeing a therapist weekly, and certainly about three years where I was seeing a therapist twice a week. So that that was that was really really super intense, and there was a lot there was a lot of um, you know peeling away the the layers of an onion, basically, and in 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 that process, what I learned was also with the art the only way that it can really work is to be honest and fully revealing. At least that's the only way it can work for me. If I'm not putting it all there on the table, then then how can how can I expect someone else to come to the work and engage fully? Uh, because they're they're not engaging with with a totally honest statement if you like. So- is that honesty incredibly vulnerable for you or is it an empowering position to work from? I think initially it was probably scary and a vulnerable thing, but progressively it's become empowering because ultimately, you know, as I've said in, in, in other work of mine, truth will set you free. And uh, you know, I I I used to I, I used to have a friend who said, you know, truth is truth, and if it's you know if if you can't examine it from every angle, then it's then it wasn't truth in the first place. It's got to be. I know. I guess I'm all all or nothing person, perhaps, perhaps as simply who, the person I am, and and that's the way that's the way I function, and I don't feel comfortable with it being any other way uh, that's that doesn't mean to say that 
another person, you know, who I'm being face to face with has to be that way with me too. Of course, it's their choice, but it's the only way that I can be. And th- this series is uh, one to 11. And do you see it as you said it was kind of happening one after the other, but do you see it as a full body of work or are they separate works? And are we seeing the end? Is it one to 11 or is this something you think you might continue throughout your career? I would like to think I'll come back to it, though at what point I don't know. You know, I, I have other ideas about other questions that I want to explore through my work, and I'm very much engaged in those right now. Um, so so when I'll come back to it, I don't know, but I just recently, um, uh, the, last, uh, the last two shows I, I, I've had in Guts Gallery and in tube culture hall in milan they both have works in them that are referencing past paintings from three four years ago so series is you know stop and start and then kind of like re 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 begin again i love that well for me i feel like this is a really important body of work that needs to be seen in more exhibitions as as a piece i feel like it's really just this record of of trauma and healing is i find it incredibly empowering i mean it would it would be wonderful if it could if it could be like seen in other places i mean i've had some wonderful experiences through the work you know it's like um where um at um i, I i've been in a flowers gallery in the show that you went to see uh an october flush the big facial surgery yes. close up Yes. painting that's that's facing uh subjective ideas uh the, the bed painting you like that one um at the at the pv a gentleman came up to me and he was like you know thank you so much for that painting my son is transitioning from f- female to male and i found i found that painting really moving i i've had encounters when the transgender women paintings were exhibited in at Flowers Gallery in, in 2022, I had trans women come up to me or, or contact me through, through Instagram, like wanting to talk about those paintings and about their own experience as women who happen to be transgender. Uh, and, you know, the fact that, that that's happening for me is is the value in the paintings mm. you know it's like whether whether they are in someone's collection whether they're in a museum ultimately that doesn't matter they they've had connection with another individual where it generated a response that was a positive engagement i i guess i guess you know as an artist you can't ask for more than that that's beautiful you know you mentioned Milan and you've got a show there currently as well as the incredible extra show in London because you've you've had like back-to-back shows in London with with Guts Gallery um the show there is called What Birds Plunge Through is Not the Intimate Space 
but uh italy let's let's start with that one uh, <laughs> i know that i i know that the flower kind of series like the floral motif the roses. that i mentioned in the intro of roses uh, the body of work that we saw at flowers gallery was made in italy no so can you speak a bit about uh, the importance of italy and the light there and and all of yeah that? so the um the the pieces that you saw in flowers gallery in nothing is absolute in that show so flowers um as a as a motif began for me i think what 2017 i think and um it was around it was just yeah the the very first floral painting was in september 2017 an act of rehearsal is the title of that painting and it was just after i had buried my mother so my my mother died after she had Alzheimer's and she had a long, slow deterioration, unfortunately, for her um, and for and for all of us that were close to her, because it's it's not a it's not a pleasant thing. But I suppose there was a part of me that was inspired by the fact that she was a very keen gardener and um, and she hated cut flowers. And I suppose this was all on my mind when I was painting in September. And so flowers started appearing in the painting in the paintings at that point. And initially, initially, as I started painting them, they became they they became very romantic and they became very romanticized with, with, you know, painting such as all the words I cannot say and um from the cradle to the grave those paintings which are which are literally almost like a bunch of flowers in close up and one of the things that i that i was thinking about at that particular point in time was how flowers are with us our entire lives you know you, you, your mother's in the hospital she's just had you and what does everyone do? You know, congratulations, here's some flowers. You go to prom and it's, here, have a flower, corsage. You get a new job, you get a new home. Congratulations, flowers. You, I know you, you do well in the school play or a performance, flowers. You go on a date, declaration of love. I love you, flowers. You have an argument. Uh, you, you want to make up. And you're apologising, flowers. Um, you. <laughs> it's like the David Trigley print that says "Sorry for being awful" with a, yeah. with a big red flower. Yeah. Yeah. You, you get sick. Get well soon. Flowers. Um, change your job. Flowers. Fight all the way until you know funeral. Flowers. They're they're there all the way through, and I thought that was really interesting. And so the um, the early flower paintings of like 17 and 2018 they were very much kind of around these ideas and kind of as as i said i was kind of romanticizing it a lot but as they progressed another thing that materialized was also as i said my mum hated cut flowers so she was a keen gardener we had loads of flowers in the back garden at home which he tended to with care. And they're very seasonal. So I decided that I would paint a series of floral motif paintings 
annually, seasonally, um, and 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 they would be a response to where I was at that point in my life at that time, I guess. And so that's what I've been I've been doing since then, and and what they have currently materialized into is um like vanitas paintings what's that so what's vanitas um vanitas you're um we're talking about um dutch golden age late 16th century 17th century and you know the, the the dutch empire was incredibly powerful perhaps the most powerful empire in the world at that point in time the way it stretched all the way across to to asia uh, from Europe and and throughout Africa as well and Latin America, yeah, and and, and so you know that the, there was extreme wealth in 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 Holland, and and so what what do, what do the art collectors do? They like they they start getting uh, paintings. I don't know, maybe it was through commission, uh, and, and and the artists also responding to all of this by making paintings that are basically saying. You know, you have all this wealth, you have all this materiality, but ultimately the only thing that's important and the only thing that you will have at the very end is is, is your life and your relationship with God. You know, we, we come into the world naked, we're going to go out as just, you know, a, a rotting corpse. <laughs> and um, With flowers, but yeah. Yeah, with flowers, of <laughs> <Yeah>. course. <laughs> Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. <laughs> uh, and, and I suppose the, um, the paintings... So when, when I went out to Italy last year, I did a residency in Umbria, just on the outskirts of Perugia which is really beautiful. But like when I was out there, it's kind of like you come out the house. I came out the house each, each morning, looked around me and it literally could have been a thousand. It could have been a thousand years ago. There is, um, there's not a flight path. So you've got no planes to like in the sky and the weather residency was the surrounding land was on like a little hilltop, but the surrounding land is all um is all just olive groves um you had you, you would have no idea i had no idea i was in the 20th century or 21st century even and i started i was reading a lot of um uh rilke german romantic poet and also um catullus I've been reading Homer and Keats at that particular point in time. And there's a, there's a wonderful um, poem from Catullus, Roman, Roman period poet. He has to travel to his brother's funeral. And after he attends and he leaves there, and you know he, he's never coming back to that land because his brother's dead now. So that's the last time he's basically visiting and he's leaving now to go back home 
and he writes, say goodbye, Catalyst, to the to the shores of Asia Minor as he's traveling back to 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 Italy from like I think it's a bit more eastward, so you're talking towards like towards Greece. And there I was in the middle of Umbria. Uh, and so I just thought, I, I'm not going to have this moment again. You know, I, the, the, the residency is going to finish. I'm going to return to London and that's it. It's done. And, and the thought that came to me was, you know, say goodbye to the hills of the Roman Republic because out there, that's what it felt like. It might as well have been Rome or the Roman Republic because there was so such a little sense of, today's world having touched that space and so I embarked on the residency on what was in effect last year's series of floral motif paintings which are all these which are all looking at I suppose looking back over one's shoulder in a sense you know the 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 titles of the pieces are along the lines of um the things of experience fall away uh, and a moment perpetually of the past and the present. Uh, let us keep each other company that we do not disappear into yesterday or the blissful clouds of summer indolence. Are these po- or, poem titles or are these titles that you've come up with? And, and, and titles seem very important for your work. Yes, yes, there are a lot of untitled, but when they are titled, it's really poetic. I know the language is so precise. Yeah, so titles come about through maybe a reference to something I've seen or read or heard, you know, if I'm listening to the radio or a um, or a podcast or reading a book or watching a film or listening to a song. And they are also from my own poetry. You know, I, I, I am still regularly writing poetry and I'm I'm regularly writing notes and keeping a I suppose a um a loose diary so to speak uh in, in parallel to my actual sketchbook and drawings and, and and so I pull the titles for paintings and and other works in general out of all these like notes my scrapbook of notes, but generally, um, generally works get titled after they've been made. Not, I, I, I don't oh, title like have follows. the title and right, right. yeah, title follows follows artwork rather than the other way around. But I will also, you know, as, as one gets titled, just as artworks are referencing and following each other. And looking back to each, I'm looking back to what I did before, in terms of a new work being a a response to some, to a question and exploration I've already had. So titles can also do that too, so that you you get um, a title like for for um, a small painting from Italy. Suppose the light was the same under my sky as it is under yours. And the next painting was titled "How the Dizziness Slips Away Like a Wisp of Cloud on the Wind," you know, that, and you know I I remember being on the patio of the of the property where the residency was, and just you know sitting out there with a cup of tea, and there was it was a 
azure blue sky and there was a tiny little cloud and I was just watching it and I know what five minutes and it had disappeared it had evaporated it gone or or like the painting which is a girl kind of looking in a very thoughtful manner which was in flowers happens to be that Yang modeled for that and the title for that is um we need to watch it over and over again for the light that is there, and, and it's a you know it's it's a completely different painting to to the painting that is next to it hanging in the gallery, a moment perpetually of the past and the present, which is the white rose and the yellow background. Yeah, I love that. But to me, they're exploring exactly the same thing because this idea of kind of of reflection. Uh, ex- exploring what it is to reflect on what's going on with with me, you know, a, a, any given uh, any given day of the week. <laughs> I, that, that's that's what the paintings are about. They're 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 explorations. They're they're questions. They're observations. They're they're reflections. It sounds like the residency gave you a real slowing down. The fact that you had the time to sit there and watch a cloud evaporate to. <laughs> to kind of go to say we want to remember this we want to go back and remember this and and keep repeating this it feels like it's a real positive thing for you because there is a certain energy especially in the flowers where they feel with the drips uh you see a lot of drips in them it feels very action painting feels very immediate but if you if you're saying the musing going into it is actually quite reflective and slow and then there's quite a conceptual energy that's going into them in some ways I mean, I don't think I'm a. I don't think I am a particularly slow, slow, slow painter. Mm. But what does happen a lot in my process is that there is a lot of slow thinking, and then the the activity of of painting, you know, picking up a brush, making a mark, that can be very, very quick. But in, in, in between those moments, there can be a very long time of just thinking and reflecting because as i said as i said earlier it's a conversation between between the artist and the canvas when a, when when a painter is making a painting i really do believe that and um and and, and, and i'm sure um you've had other painters that you've spoken to before say the say say the same thing you know you you kind of i i come into the studio and you know speaking for myself rather than generalizing and trying to put words into the mouth of someone else who isn't here to defend themselves and say otherwise. Um, I come into the studio and I may have an idea about a painting, you know, that I'm going to paint a particular thing and this is what it's going to be. And then the moment I embark on the work, I realise that the painting is like, no, actually, Victoria, this is, I'm not going to be what you think I am. I am this. And it and it becomes a um, it becomes this conversation and this also a, a an adventure of problem solving. I think I, I remember having a conversation with with uh, with Yang or with one of my fellow painters in the in like in the studio complex here and and saying you know as painters we're just problem solvers because because um, the moment that you start making um, that the moment that you start making a work, you realise there's so many other issues to deal with. Um, 
you know, uh, forms next to each other, how the 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 space um, colors marks where where one thing is meeting up against another, and and um, and it it becomes so much more than the question that you had at the very beginning when you started off. Yeah, it, it moves, doesn't it? Obviously, you are constantly, it's a, a battle, some people have described it as. It's a, it's a wrangling, whatever this idea is, or what the Oh, yeah, totally. And, it yeah. can be. Do you um, look at other artists? Because, you know, at the core of your practice, it's about human condition, gender, and social identity. Are there other artists that you've looked at uh, that have given you inspiration or, or the courage to make uncompromising work? Oh God, far too many to list. Um, <laughs> you know, I know where I I remember that um, that that question was being asked when I had done the um, people trust people who look like them. Yeah, uh, exhibition last year in that's Flowers. such an incredible title. It's such a, a there's such a, a a sad truth to that. So in regards to that title, that came out of a conversation with the surgeon who did my feminizing facial surgery. Because what people may not realize with transitioning from male to female is that um, is that the estrogen and the removal of testosterone from from the equation, it does invoke a lot of transformations in the human body testosterone is a cell building hormone so when you are um, a male bodied person you get lost in the terminology these days because of um because you're not wanting to offend anyone uh cis trans um uh, and so on, and so on, and so forth. But that's interesting. Um, do you find it hard then, as, as a trans woman? Do you still feel like you have to tread carefully sometimes when talking about pronouns and gender? Is this is this something? Well, I think I think the the terms have expanded more and more, and and then then of course, you know, even as I was going, you know, I I, I initially went to the GP early 2009 so so that's when i began began my official transition journey so to speak and at that point i had a particular understanding of myself and there were pronouns and 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 terminology i was using to talk about myself as a trans woman and and that evolved over time and the way i talk about myself as as a woman that happens to be trans today is not the same way i spoke about myself you know 13 13 14 years ago or even 5 years ago say but but anyway going back to testosterone it's a it it builds cells it's it's like to to use an analogy it's like a coral coral reef builder so testosterone thickens individual hair follicles it thickens skin it it builds muscle tissue and it strengthens and builds bones bone tissue especially around the face you know the the brow 
of a of a male is is more pronounced than of a cis cis female. The jawbone, you know, you talk about the classic square jaw of a alpha male. Uh, that that is down to again, that is down to testosterone and what it's doing for the cells in your body. And of course, you know, I I didn't have um, hormone blockers as a teenager. And I began my hormone treatment as a um, 30, 30, well, almost a 39 year old at that particular point. So I'd had, I'd had 30 odd years since I entered puberty. Um, or as say, a, for argument's sake, a nine-year-old at 30 odd years of testosterone building my body, so to speak. And I had, a, as some of those paintings, some of those transgender strike through women paintings show, I, I had a very masculine appearance. Um, you know, as one person said to me at the time I transitioned, all you're going to look like is a, is a truck driver in a dress. And I was like, fine, I'll accept that. You know, it's better than the the experience I'm having right now because I, I was ready to I was ready to um, throw myself off the top of a car park. I was so depressed and I was so self destructive at that time because I'd, I'd spent years living duality, where I had one social group um, that knew me in 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 my male mask identity and and another social group that knew me in and referred to me as her as she as uh, as a female and 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 I'd been doing I'd been living that duality ever since I was a teenager and and, and I just couldn't hack it anymore so it was like you know I, I I can only do one one reality, one existence now. I've got to see a doctor. And I don't care what the outcome is. I don't care what I look like at the end. I've read articles about trans women, read books. I've seen trans women in, in film. And and it's like, and, and if I look, as that person said to me, like a, a man in a dress, so be it. I've already been going around in a dress half half my life anyway, as it happens. So why not just simply go around in a dress for the rest of my life from now from this point onwards? It's got to it's got to be better than than doing this 50-50 life I've been embarking on. And so I started hormone treatment, and one of the things that came out in in therapy was um this idea that if I could change my appearance and reverse the effects of testosterone on my face, that masculinization of my face, would I undertake that? And and how would that transform my life? Because every single day I just stepped out the front door uh, of my home and, and uh, went out into the street and I was bearing in mind this is like we're talking about 2008 2009 anyway and you know london was a slightly different place to the way it is today but at that point 
I was getting, you know, remarks as I walked past the person on the street. Oh, you know, that's that's a man pretending to be a woman. I was filling up the car with petrol at the petrol station, and I had a guy. I had a guy filling up uh, his car at the adjoining pump, and say, "Hey, give us your number. Me and my girlfriend love people like you." You know, I was being fetishized. I was being objectified. I was being followed around shops. I remember one experience where I started off on Oxford Street in John Lewis, and I walked a few doors along Oxford Street into Debenhams and then came out of Debenhams and walked further down Oxford Street into Selfridges. And all the way along, there were these two guys following me. Oh, God. And and finally, I was just like, I, I turned to one of them because he wasn't that far away from me. I mean, he was like, he was like no more than about 10 feet away from me. And I said, excuse me, can I help you? I feel as if you've been maybe following me for a little bit. And and then he just turned around sheepishly and walked off. Um but I or I'd be in the I'd be in Sainsbury's, I'd be buying my groceries. And and you know, it's not like I'm wearing stiletto heels and a miniskirt and fishnet stockings and and a like boob tube top. And it's like and so what if I am? What difference does it make if I am? But I wasn't. I was just wearing trainers, jeans and a T-shirt. Very innocuous appearance, so to speak. But it doesn't mean, but it wouldn't stop the next person in line saying, hey, what are you? Are you oh, a man or a woman? So or like, offensive and or, just intimidating. It must be such yeah, a... Or like, um, or like, you know, what are you doing? Or, or and, and that was happening to me. Many times each day, every single day, and, and and I thought, you know, what what if I? And of course, also there's the fact that you know you get up in the morning, you go to the sink, wash your face, you look in the mirror, and I saw me, but I, but it wasn't me, mm. and, and and it was like, you know, what if I can alter that? So I embarked on um, an exploration of finding a surgeon that could do um, feminizing facial surgery that specialized in that. And when I eventually met the surgeon who who undertook that, like what he said to me is, you walk down the street and what we're all doing is making decisions subconsciously every millisecond about the people that we are walking past or walking towards. Like say, you know, you're walking down the high street, for example. Uh, And he said, it's all based on the T-section, the eyes, nose, mouth. He said, you know, we're looking at all these people around us and, and we're saying, are they risk or no risk? Are they friendly? Are they unfriendly? Um, Should I, should I fight or flee? And that, and that's what we're doing every given moment. And that's the title, people trust people uh, who uh, look like them. Yeah, and so that's where the title came from. Wow. From that, you know, he said, he said I'm going to feminize your appearance so that you effectively, you look in the mirror, you, look, you, you feel that you're looking at a reflection of your feminized self, and that's what other people are also going to see too. 
and so that that that's that's what happened and it's very funny um soon after that and like it's you know i i look like i i do one of those paintings from the woman series where all that bruising and i'm in the supermarket and i had the person at the till like waiting to pay turn around and say to me i hope he was arrested by the police because <laughs> she thought i'd just been beaten up uh by by a guy which was very sweet of her but you know i mean that was obviously not the truth of the the truth of the matter but you know but people's response to you is completely different i went from having an experience where it was like are you a man or a woman to an experience where there was another woman presenting solidarity with me so to speak uh it, it's it's really crazy the way that the human psyche works and i suppose you know the the strike through transgender women series it's in part exploring about that and it's also something i've been exploring further in those smaller portraits like like the one that was in the window of flowers a way to fight your demons and dogmas uh for example and other small head paintings like that but but then and i realize i've just been rambling and gone no, in this no, massive I detail just want to say thank you so uh, much for your honesty i mean it, you know, you, you're you, going you talk to about... help people you're going to help people with your art you're, you're just by the work you're making and the way that you're talking and people listening to this podcast this is going to make a difference your work is yeah, making a sure. difference you, you, your honesty is your authenticity is so needed and it's so important you know what else it's like it's like such an important thing to be able to hear your experience mm. and i'm really grateful for you for sharing yes, that with you. us because in a wider way as well it's kind of like you know if you think of transphobia like it's connected to racism it's connected to homophobia it's connected to sexism xenophobia yes, ableism fatphobia totally. you know misogyny the whole thing is connected and that's what i really um taking strength from at the moment is that these conversations are happening more and more and thanks to people even like our friends natalie and naomi who run everyday racism like they've they're regularly posting about how interconnected all of these issues mm. are and how we need to be you know there build for each solidarity. other and yeah. you know russell and i exactly to build solidarity and russell and i as queer men you know gay men um like it's a bigger picture now you know i feel like we're all more educated and more connected and if, if you know, I'm just really grateful for your your description. I mean, I suppose that the, the crazy thing for me is that we are still having to talk about issues, as in yeah. like an us versus them. Um, we sit yeah. here, you sit kind of there, manner. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, uh, and you know, uh, and you're seeing that in conflicts the world over, whether it's the um, the, the war in Ukraine or or um, or even, I don't know, say the Middle East versus the West or like in, in any in any given um, in any given country on any border in, in any community, there is repeatedly this us versus them conflict going on. And it's like, why? How how how, how on earth do we move? towards a situation where we understand that we're all in this together and that we're all facing 
the same struggles and that with the same problems and that ultimately you know we you know we have more in common than we have more that's different it just seems like it seems while there are elements of patches in humanity where there are people that are realizing that there are still so many other patches where it feels like it's going to take generations to fix that you're right this morning unites us then divides us and there's an amazing uh, quote of yours which i read in your statement where which i think is beautiful in some ways is that gender is not important when one is painting and and the freedom that you're finding from painting where you're able just to be genderless be 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 this vessel for creativity i find incredibly beautiful thank you wow um but yeah absolutely you know why why do we even have to focus on gender so much why why is that such an important thing for some people it baffles me yeah we love you victoria thank you we We're really going to get to our final questions now. This has just been <laughs> a kind of... I'm feeling really emotional. I'm almost it's crying. It's really... Actually. We're having a really... It feels like a really important, needed yeah, conversation just, and, mm. and one that we haven't really gone in on like this on the uh, podcast. But, and, you know, yeah. you, you two are, are beautiful people and for making this conversation happen, for this, for creating this platform that we are able to have this conversation as we are having right now you know god thank you well, thank you thank, thank you. you so much well the first question we ask everyone just to flip into this is um if you could do an art heist you could have any work of art in the world for yourself what would it be and why oh lord oh, goodness that is such a tricky <laughs> one it's like i know you ask these questions at the end of every podcast yeah, we do. And still still i'm unprepared um <laughs> so i mean you know um that i mean i i have favorite paintings of course uh flaying uh, the flaying of marseilles by by titian Mm-hmm. is a fabulous painting i love a hundred years by damien hurst the oh like yeah the cow and the flies i mean that that is a describe that, that work because i think that is a, that is an incredible it's, work as um well. uh, glass vitrine so like uh, glass cabinets and um there is on um on 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 one side and they're large they're like a i don't know it's it's I mean, how, how big is this fit tree? Like a family like, bathroom. Like, yeah, like a Probably family like eight, bathroom, or like or a like a yeah. like a child's bedroom. Yeah, kind of size. It's it's pretty big. And at one end, you've got a um, well, starts off at the beginning, a fresh cow's head, a severed head, yeah, severed head in entirety, and then there is also a a um, a hatchery. I suppose for flies, so that the they they can breed and uh, produce eggs and and hatch flies, and then also within the within the vitrine, you have one of those electric fly killers insectocutor, yeah, yeah, insectocutor, <laughs> and uh, and so that you know the flies are 
are using the cow head to aid breeding and their life circle cycle and and they are but they are also being attracted to the electric ins- insect device um where they're going over there and and dying mm-hmm. in their in their hundreds and it's it's um it's this um compact ecosystem really isn't it yeah ecosystem but also the, this kind of life cycle eat sleep fart die repeat <laughs> um it's the it's the life cycle in a microcosm uh, and and it's 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 a really profound piece which um I, i've been lucky enough to see a couple of times in yeah, shows and, and it's not a painting and considering that i mainly paint but but i i do love that piece me too um and it's sealed like it's all sealed so you, you go up to it and yeah. you're not these flies aren't getting out and you're able to watch this whole ecosystem but actually they found that flies have got out they can't work out how or why but sometimes <laughs> at the end of exhibitions where this has been uh shown there's flies within the actual space. So I don't know if they're showing solidarity for their fly friends trapped and they come from the outside, but a lot of them are able to get out somehow. It's like an impossibility. Nothing is absolute. Exactly, Victoria. Yeah, there we and go again. The, yeah. <laughs> aside from Damien Hirst's best work, which it pretty much is, the Titian painting you mentioned is a really intense one because that, that's like the skinning alive of a satire. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and And there's... You know, I mean, he he painted that really late in his life. He's mm. he's loosened up a lot as a painter. I mean, I feel when I when when I see that piece, when I've had the chance to see it, that he, he, here is a man who is painting in in the sunset of his life, and he and it's like I've got to get this down because I don't know if I'll be here tomorrow to to continue it. Uh, that that urgency. But at the same time, that um, it's it's another profound piece where where you've got the 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 satyr like being skinned alive, and yeah, which uh, is a, a character from Greek mythology for those who yeah, know S A T Y R. Yeah, um, like a half man, half goat, horse, goat, yeah. goat. Yeah, the the, the like the, the back my, legs my are type, like actually. the. <laughs> that's my that's my fetish yeah <laughs> so the uh the yeah the, the back legs are like a um the the rear end of a of a goat and the back legs of a goat and then the the top half the waist up is is human they and also had really giant erections didn't they <laughs> all right rob apparently <laughs> they did it's yeah. true if you well exactly that's what it. i say my type so, okay. <laughs> and, so and they, moving... they used to they used to like a good back canal as well <laughs> they did they did um, so moving on from that um, uh, from so, Titian and but also but also another favorite piece <laughs> is um right. is the the goldfinch which is in oh, yeah. which is in a uh, I, i'm probably mispronouncing it terribly but mauritius mauritius uh in in in, in holland the like private collection uh, it's in the same collection as um as girl with a pearl earring the goldfinch is 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 like sitting on a perch and it's tied to the perch by by a chain around its ankle so it's it, it can't it can't um escape it can't fly away and um and there's something in that which is 
unbelievably tragic. Uh, but it's it's also the like the, the the way the bird is painted. The 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 artist whose name I can't recall right now. Carol Fabritius. Thank you. Uh, the the way that he the way that he painted the bird it's you know there's it's so economical it's not overworked it's just just the right amount of brush marks and, and yet it's it's a painting that's like so unfathomable beautiful beautiful piece and and I, I was really drawn to it especially because of um because of Donna Tartt's book. Uh, the Goldfinch, uh, which I don't know if you've read, but um, any listeners, um, I highly recommend it. I mean, there was a film, which I want to say I love the film, but films were right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the but the book is stupendous. Yeah, um, you can read the whole book and you get to about the last two hundred pages, and then you get the this last two hundred pages is this wonderful just monologue uh donna tart just goes goes on one a bit like um uh ulysses uh where it's this kind of like stream of consciousness about life art the world and everything meaning of life and and in a way you could almost skip the whole book and just go to that last 250 pages and read that because <laughs> that essay is absolutely jaw-droppingly beautiful oh good oh, and lovely tip yeah and that painting as well the the eye of the bird is so intense it's like deep soul <laughs> you know connection to the eye totally so probably if yeah. i had to have one painting one would it, it would be at that would be that one and the other question we ask every guest is what is your favorite color it's a tough call between blue and green Ah, I thought you were going to say red. <laughs> as soon as I said, so as soon as I said between blue and it. green, I was. I thought, yeah, maybe red. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do love red. I do love red. It, it really pops, um, especially in your paintings. Right, uh, and, and, and yeah. currently, if you're going by my paintings, I would say probably red. Yeah, <laughs> if you're going by what I wear, then my 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 wardrobe is almost universally black um <laughs> so i should say i love black uh black you know black as a color yeah. um but no I, d I do love green especially a kind of like bottle green emerald green um the mossy green mossy green just makes me melt lovely what is the i also had emerald in my head actually Sorry, i was gonna Ross. say what is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art <laughs> I am going to qu quote one of my old tutors from back from BA days, mm. and and he he said we were sitting in front of uh, my painting, and he said Victoria, attack the canvas. Yeah. Love. <laughs> Never heard that one. Attack and the canvas. Think like look at Albert Olin. Yeah, like. He he doesn't like hold back from attacking the canvas. Attack the canvas, Victoria. <laughs> and have you followed? Have you followed that advice? Is that something that energy that you've pushed into your practice? I think so. Yeah, I I I think you have I, to. I, I, 
I come into the studio and I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm ready with my, yeah, my sword and shield and I, 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 I am ready for, I'm ready for, for, for it all. Totally. Oh. Well, we love you, Victoria. We are beyond ready uh, for you and your work and your voice. Oh, thank and you. Your thank words you. Thank you so much. Everything. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I think anyone listening who's a curator, who's looking for a series of works, I really think that, that uh, the Transgender Woman series, the Woman series, 1 to 11, should be touring mm. internationally. I think it's incredibly important and brilliant and beautiful and moving. Thank you very, everything. very much. Yes. It's very kind of you. And for those who aren't familiar with Victoria's work, you can visit um, Victoria's website, which is um, victoriacantons.com. And you can also follow Victoria on Instagram at Victoria Cantons. And um, the galleries we've mentioned today, Flowers Gallery, Guts Gallery, and also uh, there's a group show at the Alma Pearl Gallery and um, Tube Culture Hall and all kinds of shows happening. So yeah, you can get out there and start researching and learning more about the visual world of Victoria. Um, Victoria, this has just been such an emotional dream, fantastic so episode much. and the reason we do the podcast. So thank you for everything you're doing, making, and uh, thank you for you. No, thank you. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> we'll be back very All right, soon. Take care, everyone. Lots bye, of love. Bye, Victoria. Bye. bye. Thanks, Victoria. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.